always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. About 30 years ago, or give or take a few years, I was standing in a hallway. And this hallway was in a church building that I was working at at that time. Prior to beginning um, this church here at, at Bushkill, I was on pastoral staff at several different churches. And during that stretch of years, um, I worked under six different pastors. I wasn't at six different churches, but for various reasons, there was pastoral transitions and I stayed on. So the story I'm about to tell you is about one of the six pastors who was my, you know, my senior pastor as I was on staff. Um, and for those of you uh, watching online or listening to the podcast who uh, may have been part of one of those churches I was a part of, I'm not asking you to guess, and that's not important, uh, which, which one this was, but it was a very pivotal moment for me as I'm standing in this hallway. It was 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and we had just finished a board meeting. And in that meeting, there was a very tense exchange between the senior pastor and myself. And I felt and knew that his, his accusation toward me wasn't correct. I certainly didn't agree with it. So I, I wanted to set that right. But also the fact that he chose to do that in front of the board really troubled me. And so the meeting was over, everyone went home, but he was still in his office. So I stood there in a dark hallway, seeing the light underneath the bottom of the door, knowing he was in there where the door was firmly closed. Paul, what are you going to do? Are you going to allow intimidation to squash you? Or are you going to go forward and say what needs to be said, but say it in the right way for the right reason, and this is the right time? And that's what I felt I had to do. And, and so I, I said a prayer, and I walked in. I remember that moment so clearly. And he didn't want to see me, said so. But I said, well... I want to see you, and we need to get this right. And by God's grace, he gave me the courage to, to be firm with him, but not accusatory, just open and, and, and gentle with what I said. And then to his credit, he agreed to talk. And we had a, few, a tense exchange for a little bit. Well, it didn't go on for hours or anything. But after the dust settled from that, the two of us got along better. The two of us were able to minister together. And I will say clearly that, that of, of the six pastors I worked under, he was the most difficult one for me to work with. A lot of it was personality differences and such. Um, but that was a, a moment where, where I felt intimidated, and yet I needed to, to say the right thing the right way for the right reason at the right time. And again, God enabled me to do that. Today's passage that Marie read from Acts chapter 2 is 
a much larger situation in which Peter had so much more at stake as the clear leader in the early church. He spoke up on two occasions that we've already looked at as recorded in in the book of Acts. Of course, the most well-known would be that first time on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and the sound of wind and what looked like tongues of fire alighting on these disciples who now could speak languages they never knew before but were known languages throughout the world because people throughout the world were gathered there for the festival of Pentecost. And he spoke to them about what was going on. And the end result was 3,000 believers. The church began. Acts chapter 3, we looked at last week. He was simply going with John on his way to the temple, on his way to worship. He didn't have an agenda that day. Didn't have a sermon tucked in his pocket, ready to preach. But he was ready to preach. Because the moment came that he wasn't expecting. And so he spoke up and... The result of that was also more people believed, but there was also concern now from the leaders of in Jerusalem, the leaders around the temple. He had healed a lame man, and that's what brought the attention. This man could never walk before, and now he could walk. What's going on? They wanted to find out. This quote here, I intentionally didn't put the reference for it, you may know, was written by Peter. This is from the first Peter chapter three. This is around verse 15 and 16. And we're going to look at that, this passage, and actually the verses before and after as well. And that's why your outline looks a lot different today. I'm going to line it up with what happened in Acts 4. When Peter wrote these words, we're not real clear on exactly when many of the, the epistles, the letters in the New Testament were written. There's some you know, within a five-year window, perhaps. But it was most likely about 30 years after what happened here in Acts 4 took place. So this was a long time. But I wouldn't be a bit surprised as, as Peter's writing this. Of course, he's led by the Spirit in writing this, and yet he also brings his own experience to it. The, the, the writers of the Scriptures didn't just go on autopilot and the Spirit spoke and they just wrote things they never heard of or never experienced, never knew anything about. God gave them experiences in their lives so they could write it down. It was still Spirit-led. And so Peter had many experiences to draw upon to write about the importance of being ready to speak, but not just that you will speak up, but how you speak up. And so this was certainly one of the more one of the first occasions in which he had to do that. So I'm going to line those, these two passages up today. It's on your outline if you want to use that. And those of you who are maybe listening uh, or watching on, um, at home, um, just pull up Acts 4 and 1 Peter 3. And we're going to put those, if you have the ability to put them next to one another, that would be great. But otherwise, just listen and follow along because we see these connections going on with the truth that the apostle writes about in his letter with an experience that he and many others had here recorded in Acts chapter 4. 1 Peter 3.13 says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Perhaps Peter is thinking back to the moment where the priest and the, and the ca- captain of the temple guard and Sadducees 
came up to Peter and John in chapter 4. And it goes on there to say they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming the, the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were among this group. Now, as you, as you may know, and we've identified many times, especially last year, looking through the Gospel of Mark in detail, there were various groups within the leadership of the Jews. There was teachers of the law, there was Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there was kind of the chief priests had their own set of people, and the former chief priests, and um, there was Herodians, and, and so at different times these groups would, would enter in, and they didn't even get along with one another for the most part, but they, had a, they found a common enemy in Jesus. And now his followers are doing the same things, and they're concerned about that. When it specifically says Sadducees, that's important because Peter, when um, you know, he, he gave, gave credit to Jesus Christ, the risen one. Now, the Sadducees didn't believe there was resurrection for anybody. And, and they, no afterlife whatsoever. And there's, there's an old song I learned as a kid uh, about uh, the Sadducees, that they are so sad, you see. <laughs> I would be too if there's no afterlife. I mean, come on. I mean, Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 15, about if, if there is no resurrection of the dead for Christ or anyone, then we're fools. Then, then of all people, we should be pitied because we believe this, especially when the church was persecuted to the extent that they were being persecuted in the New Testament times. You know, you're putting your life on the line. Now it's not just a matter of being you know, shunned or laughed at or anything like that. I mean, they could be beaten, tortured, and killed for this. And what? There's no resurrection? Of course there is. And Peter clearly spoke to that truth. But the Sadducees, who didn't believe in that, were angry about it. So they got the temple guard. Now, the temple guard was like, I, I've been to very few mega churches in my life, but I know enough about them to know that uh, when you have thousands of people, you need a security team. I mean, they genuinely do. You have a lot of people. You have to manage the people. And something happens, they can help people or rush in if you're something that, you know, is, is, it needs attention, has to pull one out. Or that, that's a security team at a big church. It just makes sense. And so the temple was a megachurch in, in, in the sense of the number of people who were there day in and day out and throughout the temple and the courtyards. There was hundreds, thousands of people around. So there's nothing wrong with having a temple guard, but they grabbed those guys and said, look, I'll uh, tell you what, we're going to go and put these two guys in, in custody. And the 14th verse, and back to verse Peter 3, says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And Acts 4.3 says, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, to be fair to them, that is, those that arrested him, those made sure that happened. Um, it was similar to the way our judicial system works and our law and order system, where if someone looks like they committed the crime and there's some evidence about a crime, you can put them in custody until there's a hearing, and then a judge will say, okay, there is sufficient evidence to hold this person until trial, and you know, so they to protect the public, or we don't want them to run away or whatever. Or the judge might say, you know what, there's not enough here. You need to set this person free. If you want to bring charges later, go ahead, but he doesn't have to stay in jail. So this is what they were doing. 
They were putting Peter and John in jail overnight until they could pull together all of the Sanhedrin to basically intimidate him. That's why I chose this photo right here. And for those of you just listening, it's, it's uh, Peter standing before um, what looks like a group that really doesn't want to hear what he has to say in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of as many as 72 uh, leaders in Jerusalem from those various groups that I just referenced a moment ago, Sadducees among them, but definitely the high priests and high priests. Now, one thing interesting about this, it says that they uh, that Annas was the high priest and Caiaphas was there. And yet, when you read the story of Jesus, when he was arrested and put under what was really a mock trial, a, a, just a mockery of justice, but nonetheless, there was a trial that happened. It happened in the home of Annas, who was actually Caiaphas's father-in-law. Annas was a former high priest. Caiaphas was the current high priest. And because Acts 4 is only a matter of months after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Caiaphas was probably still actually the high priest. But the reason it's, it's, we can make this little correction here, or not, not that it's incorrect, uh, to show you how it's not incorrect, if um, Jimmy Carter or uh, George W. Bush or, or Barack Obama or Donald Trump are introduced formally in public, even though they're all former presidents, they are, um, they are still given the title president for the rest of their lives. That's what's happening here. So Annas, the former high priest, still is called high priest. There's also some evidence from scholars outside of the Bible that Annas might have been still kind of controlling or at the very least influencing Caiaphas. And so he, had, he, he held sway. He's, he's, he's the former high priest, but... He's got a pretty good connection with the current high priest, and not to imply that Caiaphas was kind of a puppet high priest, but Annas certainly had his ear. And they put together this group to intimidate the socks off of Peter and John. Wait, they had sandals, they didn't have socks. Okay, intimidate the sandals off of Peter and John. <laughs> but, and, and, and certainly anyone would, would feel this way. When they, when they, you know, they, they brought them in. But, um, you know, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And the blessing was, but the, the many heard the message, believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So they, they were trying to put a stop to this growing, what they would thought of as a heresy going on among the Israelites. And even as they're arresting two of their leaders, the group is growing and growing and growing. It, it's... it's in their minds, spinning out of control. We have to put a stop to this somehow. And so it was growing very quickly. And Peter says in 1 Peter 3, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. They had Peter brought, and John brought before them, began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Very, very accusing tones and scowling looks and, and physical posture among the men in that room. And that was intentional. Now remember, as, as we've focused on before, when a person was, was kicked out of the temple or even out of their local synagogue, it wasn't just, oh, rats, I can't go to worship on the Sabbath. 
I can't go offer a sacrifice, which is it's sad and unfortunate, but it was more than that. If you're kicked out of the temple, if you're kicked out of the synagogue, you are shunned by everybody. And you shouldn't even associate with someone who's been, who's been shunned like that. And so now, it's, it's your, your own livelihood is on the line. Your, your own family's reputation is on the line. So, it, so there's a lot at stake standing before these men for Peter. But it says there in the, in the seventh verse, <clears throat> then Peter, eighth verse, excuse me, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, hmm. Now in the 15th, excuse me, 15th verse of chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he begins by saying how you should speak. So he's already established there, you know, um, that there's a, there's a time to speak. Um, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, he says. In his heart, in this moment, he was led by the Spirit, not by himself. That's so important. He could have had all of the right answers lined up in his mind. He could have had what he felt was the right intentions aligned in his heart. But if it wasn't spirit-led, if it wasn't based upon the lordship of Christ in him, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't go far. Then it's Peter speaking up, not the Lord. Then it's Peter's anger coming through, or Peter trying to be smarter than them, or Peter just shaking in fear and just getting quiet, not saying a word. Or the other extreme, Peter, you know, how dare you do this and go on the attack mode with them. None of that happened because, as he says in his letter in the third chapter, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That's the foundation for dealing with conflict. That's the foundation for dealing with intimidation. That's the foundation for, for trying to get along with a person or persons that you have such a hard time getting along with. And, and it's, it's a situation that you need to address. There are some people in our lives that we can and just plain should avoid. But there are certain other moments where those people come across our path again and again, and maybe God is telling us something. Maybe God is saying, hey, it's time for us to, to say something. But you want to say it right. You want to say it for the right reason, and, and you, you want to, most importantly, say it led by the Spirit of God. And that's where Peter was, filled by the Spirit before he spoke. Also in 3.15 of 1 Peter, always be prepared based on that Lordship of Christ, based on being Spirit-filled, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I love that verse. Always ready, always ready to speak. Peter had already demonstrated this on the day of Pentecost. He was ready to go and the Spirit led him. Uh, when he went into the temple the day before and he wasn't intending that day to cause a ruckus. To, he didn't have a sermon tucked in his pocket. He did in his heart and his mind, again, led by the Spirit, but his intention was just to go and pray. And this lame man asked him for help. I don't have any money for you, but what I do have, I give to you. Be healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he was healed, and that's what brought all this attention. But he was So when all the people there on that day saw this, what's happening here? He was ready to speak. Now the difference between Peter's sermons, there's, there's a short one at least in each of the second, third, and fourth chapters of Acts. 
Okay? In Acts 2 at Pentecost, people were very curious at what's happening and really wanted to know. And he told them. In the story about the lame man, they also wanted to know what's going on. How did this happen? Now we see a miracle happening like happened with Jesus. What's going on? He was ready to speak up. But the, the, the hearers there were genuinely curious. It was like they invited him to speak. They wanted to know the truth. This group didn't want to know the truth. And it was less of an invitation to speak than it was a threat. You better guard your words how you answer this question. In whose name do you speak? And he's ready. Led by the Spirit. It is in the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth that this man stands before you. One thing we don't have in this, this painting is, is John and the lame man. Now let's just assume they're off in the distance here, okay? But they were in the room too, all right? So they were there. So, so here is the evidence. You said, what did I do wrong? I healed someone, and, and really Christ healed them. And I, I just said his name and, and he was healed, and I, I, my heart acknowledges that this is where the power came from. I didn't do anything wrong. I helped someone, and here he is. Always be prepared, and Peter was prepared. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is so important that we don't lose that part of that statement. Always be ready to speak. All right, I'm going to go. Here we go. Who do I got to talk to? I'll bring it. I'll give it to him. But be gentle. Hmm. It's amazing to me the number of times the, the, the New Testament writers especially use the word gentleness as, as a sign of what the Spirit does in our lives, wants to do. Bring gentleness. Gentleness is not being wimpy or weak by any stretch. As a matter of fact, gentleness takes an enormous amount of emotional strength. Amen? Amen. Because when, when your nature wants to scream it, and it feels like you've got a right to scream it, and you've replayed the speech in your head, and you know you shouldn't say that one, but i got to say this. They're wrong. Everybody knows it, and I want to say it. Okay, be gentle. Okay. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. It, it, it's restraint, but it's good. Gentleness and respect. What's the first thing that Peter says here? Um... Rulers and elders of the people, respect. You are leaders. There's respect there. Now, he was gentle, but he was also firm. He goes on to say something he said. Here's this similarity again in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4. He says, you crucified Jesus. And it, it holds more weight than the other two. The other time, it's in the temple courtyard, basically, or the streets of Jerusalem at Pentecost. And, and they, they heard this, and they were all Jews, and they, most of them were either there that day or remember what happened when Jesus died. Okay? 
So that, and, and maybe they were part of the crowd shouting, Barabbas, Barabbas, free Barabbas, and crucify Jesus. And so, so in some sense, some of them were literally felt guilty of being responsible for it. But the ones who actually put the, the political um, machine in motion for Jesus to go before Pilate and eventually be crucified was this group of people, the Sanhedrin. And now Peter is standing before that very same group. And he says to them, gently but firmly, and you killed him. You killed him. What courage that he has. Incredible. 3.16 of 1 Peter 3. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 4.13 Since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Hmm. What could they do? This is um, such a a, a powerful example of the Spirit working through someone beyond what was expected. Okay? So back to 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Courage. Astonishment. Um, when you see that word astonished there, it's the same Greek word, Greek with the language of most of the New Testament. It, it's the same Greek word as amazed. When you read through the Gospels, the stories about Jesus, when he healed the blind man, healed the lame man, when he um, cast out a demon, but most importantly to Jesus, when he taught, the crowd was amazed, astonished. Same word here. They were astonished at this disciple of Jesus whom they took note that he was with Jesus. I, I just want to take those guys. Don't you get it, fellas? <laughs> Jesus is in him and you can have him too, but they're, they had too much to lose. They had power. They had position. They had to become really humble. They had to admit that so much of the way they taught and the things they were doing were just plain wrong. And there was a whole big long list of, of repentance they had to walk through to genuinely say, Jesus is Lord. And very few of them did. But it does go on to tell us that um, he was, uh, that they went into what we might call um, executive session. Okay? Now, executive session, if you know anything about business meetings and Robert's Rules of Orders, that's, that's, a lot of meetings are public, or at least open to the rest of the group, or it's a church or a community organization, whatever. You know. But an executive session means only the officers are allowed in the room, and they're going to talk about something of great importance. Uh, a school board, school board, for example, will go into executive session when they're talking about a, an employee or maybe a student matter of great concern because they don't want the name to go out in the public, nor should it, okay? So the Sanhedrin goes into executive session. What are we going to do about this? Now, this is a place where, where a skeptic of the Bible would say, all right, if it's an executive session, Pastor Paul, how did Luke know what they said? 
Hmm. Good question. There were in that group, when Jesus was put on trial by these same people, it tells us in the Gospels that there were people who were sympathetic toward Jesus. They may have been there. And eventually Luke, again, Luke was led by the Spirit, but Luke used sources to write down what he wrote, eyewitnesses. Okay? So it could have been that one of those who were sympathetic to Jesus or who did repent, turn to Christ and come to him, later on told Luke what happened. Like Luke didn't write this as it was happening. This is many years later, okay, that he actually wrote it down. One interesting theory, and I say very carefully, it is only a theory, okay, is that Saul might have been in the room who became Paul because he was a very prominent Pharisee. And hearing that something new was happening, this, this you know, story about Jesus being resurrected is circulating, people are believing it. Okay, maybe Saul was there. And, you know, so all that aside, um, in, in 317 of 1 Peter, it says, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. So when they went into executive session, came out and basically told them to stop talking about it. <laughs> no more of this, you boy, you naughty boys. <laughs> Which is right in God's, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to Him. That's what they had to do. Now, going forward in Acts, this wasn't just a a impotent threat that they knew they couldn't stop. Okay, what that meant was because this was a direct order from the Sanhedrin publicly. Going forward, they could arrest them right away if they broke that rule, which would be a problem later. Um, but in that moment, Peter, again, has, has the courage to, to stand up and say what needs to be said, to speak very truthfully from his heart, um, which is right. God's eyes to listen to you or to him. Always be prepared, prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So my, my prayer for you is when you have a moment where you, you need the words, you have to maybe initiate a confrontation. And by the way, confrontation isn't wrong. It all is a question of how it's done. Why you do it, when you do it, how you do it, where you do it, all that matters, okay? But if you go back to, to you know, Peter's first directive there from 1 Peter 3 about, you know, set Christ in your heart as Lord. Be reminded of his presence, the Spirit. And if it's a Spirit-led thing, he will give you the words. He will give you the gentleness. He will give you the firmness. He will, you know, work through you if you are doing all of that for, you know, the, the, right, the right reason and, and trusting in him. It'll, he'll be there for you. You know, I, I'm a public speaker. I don't mind talking to people. I, I've had experiences with confronting people. And, and where I began this, this message today, that story of having to go to my senior pastor many years ago, 
That moment I come back to countless times in the last 30 years. Because God gave me the courage in that moment to say what needed to be said in the right way. And that enabled me in other circumstances to look back on that. And I'm so glad that I did that. And that's what God has for us. It's not just that the moment that we're in will help us and others. It's that he's also preparing us for future moments to also to be ready to give the reason, the hope that you have, and to do so with gentleness and respect. Father, let your word go forth in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our places of work, in all that we do. May we be found faithful in you. In his name we pray. Amen.